have been talking about the end of the world. We've been talking about this because Jesus talked about it. We are in the book of Luke 21. And today we are going to be looking at uh, verses um, specifically 29 through 38, the end of what is in Luke's version of the Olivet Discourse. This is teaching that he gave uh, right at the end of uh, his, his earthly ministry uh, from the Mount of Olives and talking about what the people were to expect. And if you, this is the third of these messages. If you missed the first two, I do encourage you, you can go online, you can watch the videos, and you'll get even more out of it if you see these all connected. We'll see that they had been asking about the, the Jewish temple and all of its grandeur. And Jesus told them that all of this is going to be torn down. You may think this is beautiful, but it is, it is all going away. And that was fulfilled in 70 AD when the Romans came and they just they leveled the temple. They leveled Jerusalem. And how many, just an amazing amount of people were, were killed. It was an awful, terrible thing. And then Jesus talked about this, this time of the Gentiles that was going to take place. And this is where we find ourselves in this, uh, this gap in between, uh, which also we refer to this as, as the church age, this time where God's focus uh, is specifically, is, is more on the Gentiles and, and building the church. But we saw that there is an, another week appointed to Israel that is yet coming, that there's going to be this period called the, the, the Great Tribulation, and yeah, there's tribulation in this life. General, there's things that we got to go through. We shouldn't think that we're going to escape that. We need to be prepared for whatever God has for us. But there's also going to be this, this seven-year period called the Great Tribulation. We talked about that in depth uh, last week as well. But then Christ is going to return. So let's read a little bit. And actually, let's uh, also read what we, we had last week so we get a running start into this. So let's read Luke 21, and I'm going to start at verse 24. It says, They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captives among the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. That's where we find ourselves in this time of the Gentiles right now. Verse 25, And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations, in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Other places, this is described as the, as the, great, as the tribulation. Verse 27, And then they will see the Son of Man, this is Jesus Christ, coming in a cloud with power and great glory, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Now verse 29, and this is the section we're going to focus on for, for this week. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. And as soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until, he has, until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness 
and cares of this life, and that they come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. This is God's word. This is what we are looking at today. We're going to divide this into two basic sections. We'll look at verses 29 through 33 first. And we're going to say the uh, main point of this section, the kingdom of God is, is near, so watch for Jesus. Be looking for him. Be looking out for Jesus and for his return. He began by talking about this, the, the fig trees and all the trees, he said, they come on a leaf. You can see that summer is drawing near. There are things that were indications of what was coming, what is drawing near. So he says, when you see these things taking place, know that the kingdom of God is near. This leads to a question. Are there signs of his coming or are there no signs? Because there's some passages to seem to say that, that we can look for signs that God's uh, kingdom is near, that his, his return is, is coming. But there are other passages that stress that the return of Christ is imminent. And that means that it's, it's, it could happen at any moment. That there's not a set list of things that, as far as we know of, have to happen before Jesus comes. So we can say, well, he's not coming for a while because this has to happen and this has to happen. And we believe that the, the returning of Christ, it's imminent and it's unknown. I mean, some of those passages that we need to keep in mind in Matthew twenty four thirty six, Jesus says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So Jesus is saying there that during his time on earth, during the, uh, his incarnation and humiliation, that he was not living in his, his full glorified state. Uh, that he was acting and living out of the, the knowledge that he had in his, in his human mind uh, and not accessing all the, the infinite knowledge that he had in his, his divine mind, being the, being the eternal God. And so there's a time period where Jesus didn't even know when exactly this is going to take place. I think he knows now, but he was saying that his, his point for us is that uh, no one knows exactly when this is going to come. And there are people that will try to set dates, and they tend to be wrong. Uh, but Jesus is saying no one knows. He says a little bit later, Matthew 24, 42, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, you would have stayed awake and would not have had his house broken into. Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. There are other passages that talk about him coming as a, as a thief, like a thief in the night. And the point of this, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. 2 Peter 3, 10 says that as well. And the point there is, you know, a thief doesn't call ahead and schedule with you when they're going to come. They're going to try and come unexpectedly when you're not knowing it. If you knew exactly that, you know, someone's going to break into your house at 3.30, uh, you'd be awake at 3.30. And I guess you could go to sleep before then, set your alarm so you can wake up for when the, when the, when the thief is going to come. 
And if we knew when Jesus was going to come, well, we could do that too. We could say, well, you know what, he's going to come at this point, so I can live my life however I want now. I can do what I want. Instead, the main point here Jesus is saying is, always be ready. Always be prepared, because he could come at any moment. And we need to be watching and waiting for him. Uh, James 5.8, be patient. And it says, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's, it's right there, but we don't know when it's going to be. So there are certain things that are uh, indications that, that might be drawing near. Uh, but they may, they're inconclusive. We don't know for sure. There's not a timetable that, that we know of that is set. So you have some things that, that talk about signs. You have some things that uh, say that it, it's, you can know when it's coming and others that don't. I think part of the solution to this, what helps us to make sense, is to realize that the, the second coming of Christ is actually kind of a complex event. Just in the Old Testament, they thought about the Messiah coming, and they didn't realize that there'd be a first coming and a second coming. They saw some of the prophecies, and sometimes prophecies are like looking at a mountain way off in the distance. And you can't, it looks like all the mountains are together, but you get close and you realize there's mountains here, and a, a big old valley or a big plain, and then there's more mountains. But you can't tell that from a distance. And so the prophets, they saw these mountains, they all look like they're together. Uh, but now we realize that there was a first coming of Christ, where he came to, to live a perfect life in our place. To, he had to die on the cross in our place and, and uh, be raised again for our justification. But he will come a second time. Uh, not in reference to, to dying for sin, but to come back as the, the reigning Lord and to come back in victory. And I think when we look even at that coming, we realize, okay, there's, there's some complexity to it as well. There's some stages in that coming. And so we see some passages in Scripture that refer to uh, what is known as the rapture and others that refer to his, his final coming, his, his glorious appearing, as the King James puts it. And the rapture will happen first. It is imminent. It could happen at any moment. It could happen suddenly. We always have to be prepared for this. At some moment, just everything is going to change very drastically. There's nothing that has to happen before it comes. And then the final second coming will happen seven years after that, that seven-year tribulation period. So the rapture happens, and then the tribulation, as we talked about last week, uh, starts with uh, the the, the person who becomes revealed later on is the Antichrist, making a, a covenant with the many, with the nations, for, for a seven-year period. And in the middle of this, he's going to break that covenant, he's going to set himself up to be worshipped, in a, I think, in a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. And things are going to get ugly in this world. You read the book of Revelation, all the things that are, that are going to happen. Thus, if you were there during that tribulation period, and you knew... Your, your Bible prophecy, and you knew uh, when this was made, the covenant was made, and you knew when the Antichrist did this, I mean, you would know, okay, we got three and a half years now uh, after the Antichrist sets himself up in the temple uh, that we have to endure until Christ is going to return. You would know when that's going to be. Uh, but for us, where we're at, we need to keep watching and waiting and always be ready, because the first part of this could kick off at any moment. You know, there might be indications that things are, are getting closer and getting closer and, and falling into place. Uh, but we don't know exactly when uh, that, is, that is going to happen. So I mentioned the rapture. I want to talk about this uh, a bit. And maybe some of you have read lots about this. Uh, some of you, this might be something you've heard of, but you, you don't really know what this is. The rapture is the event 
that is referred to in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, where those who are in Christ, that means believers, when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you, you are in Christ. You are in the body of Christ. Before you do that, you are outside of Christ. You're in your sin. And it's at the moment of you placing your personal faith in Jesus that you are immersed into Christ, united to him in faith. And so those that are in Christ will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's what it refers to. Uh, this passage in First Thessalonians uh, 4, is, this is the most clear passage that we have that refers to uh, the rapture. And it's worth, it's worth looking at this. The actual word rapture comes from in, uh, in verse 17, it says caught up. And in the older Latin versions, they use the word raptura. You know, sometimes we talk of somebody, you know, being raptured in the, in the rapture of the music they're listening to. They're caught up in something. Well, this is a literal being caught up. And that's where the word rapture comes from. So let me read this. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. When it refers to this, it's referring to, to those that have died. It's a, it's a euphemism. It's talking about believers who have passed on in this life. They're, they're absent from the body. They're present with the Lord. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So we do grieve. That's okay. But we don't grieve in the same way as the rest of the world that has no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, so if you're still alive and you're Christian at this point when this happens, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. That we're caught up there, that's, that's raptura, it got translated in Latin, that's where we get rapture from. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We're to encourage one another with these words. You know, as we go through this life, and there, is, there, there are things where we do grieve. There is loss. There is, I look out here and I see many of you have, that I know of have lost loved ones. If they have died in Christ, I mean, this is the time when you will see them again. Uh, maybe before that, if the Lord takes you before the rapture, but if we're still here, they are going to be raised. And we extend our sympathy to, to Pam and the, uh, Jacobson, lost her father this week. And she knows that um, he, is, he is with the Lord. And if the Lord were to come right now, he would, he would be raised. And then we will be literally caught up. Jesus Christ uh, rose in, in the sky as God took him away. And I don't know how that worked. I don't know at what point he transitioned to a different uh, uh, dimension and how that works. But when he returns, he's going to return in the same way we saw last week from the sky. And so he comes and we are raptured and we meet him. And we're going to talk a little bit more what happens after that. Because we're gonna, we have the, the, the view that God takes us in this rapture and then takes the church 
and we are uh, kept out of the tribulation period that's going to come across the whole earth. So that's what the rapture is. When is the rapture? And we believe that it will happen prior to the start of the tribulation period. This seven years of, of God pouring out his wrath upon the world in a way that's never been done before. This completely unique way that we talked about last week. And so if we, we put this into a chart form, it does help to, to visualize like this, that we are right now are in what's often referred to as the church age. This will also overlap with what's been called the time of the Gentiles. And so the, the next thing on the horizon is uh, the rapture that we mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 4. And then there's this seven-year tribulation period uh, until Christ's final second coming when he actually returns. In the, the rapture, he, he doesn't actually return all the way to the earth. He comes in the clouds, we go to meet him. But at the second coming, this is what we talked about last week, where he returns to the Mount of Olives, that his feet touch the ground, the Mount of Olives splits in half, and uh, he returns and just conquers and just destroys all the enemies that are against him. Uh, that's that phase of things at the second coming. And then we'll mention this in a little bit, this, this millennium, this millennial kingdom where he reigns on earth for a thousand years before the great white throne judgment, a final rebellion, final rebellion, great white throne judgment, and then the new heavens and new earth uh, for all eternity. So back to the question of when is the rapture, I said that we believe the position that, that our church has and what I think is correct is that the, the rapture will happen prior to the start of the tribulation. And there are some passages that shed a lot of light on this. We just read in 1 Thessalonians 4. If you still, if you had opened to that, we can just keep reading. Because you get to chapter 5 where it talks about the day of the Lord. It's a reference to this tribulation period. And remember, when Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians, he did not put a big break between chapter 4 and chapter 5, write a big old 5. I mean, it was one continuous thing. The chapter divisions were added later. Okay, so when he writes this next part in chapter 5, he still, he had just been talking about the rapture. So that's the context. We keep that in mind. And it says here, 1 Thessalonians 5, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brother, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. You know, this will start as something that, that is unexpected. While people are saying, there is peace and safety, they're going to think everything's good, everything's safe, then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Let me pause here for a second. Do you notice how often when it refers to the return of Christ and these end times things, it gives application as far as how this should impact how we live now? I mean, we'll talk about that more, but just keep seeing this. It's over and over in scripture. Verse 7, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love for the 
and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, verse 9, this is key. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, whether we're alive or dead, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So keep working, keep being a part of each other's lives, keep building each other up in the body of Christ. But there in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, that was really key. God has not destined us for wrath. And that's what the whole tribulation period is, God pouring out his wrath on this world in a special way. And again, I believe this is in the context of talking about the rapture. So that's an indication that uh, the church is promised exemption from God's wrath. Another verse we could look at in Revelation 3.10, I believe it teaches there that the church is promised exemption even from the time of God's wrath. So not just that God will, will, will protect us through it, but that we're actually removed from it. If you are already in the body of Christ before this happens, that we are removed. Revelation 3.10 says, Because you have kept my word about patience and endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. So this, this hour of trial leaves a reference to this, this tribulation period that's coming because this is this worldwide thing. And it says here that, that Jesus will keep you from the hour of trial. And even the Greek word there, it's the word ek. And it means literally out of. It doesn't, it, he would have used a different word if he meant he will preserve you through it. You have to go through it, but he's going to keep you through it. Now, the, the trials and tribulations of, of this life right now you know, you will have to go through many, yes. Don't just think that, oh, because of the rapture means you're never going to suffer at all. If that's your motivation for this, you're, you're wrong. There's, God tells us over and over, be prepared for suffering, be prepared for hard times. But this special hard time that's coming, it's saying, indicating here who will keep us from it, keep us out of this. So these are kind of two of the key verses. There, there are more reasons than this. Uh, I think looking at things in scripture that the differences between the rapture and the second coming, um, I think you need to differentiate them. I think there's a need for a gap of time. And I'll tell you this, we're only able to cover a few things here. A few years ago, Pastor Nick and I, we did a PM series uh, going through our church's doctrinal statement. It was called What We Believe. Some of you were here for that. Uh, We've put all of those messages online now. They're only audio, but um, there were three at the end of the series that I did on eschatology or end times. And so if you go to our church's website, fbcmiddleville.net, and you find the section for messages and then audio, and you search for the What We Believe series, there's a message on the return of Christ and the resurrection. There's a message on the millennium, and there's a message on the tribulation and the rapture if you want to study this uh, in more detail. I'll tell you too, there's also, um, if I was going to recommend a book, and I know there's a lot that's out there, um, The Bible and Future Events by Leon Wood. It's a a classic. It's very uh, well-written, just a very straightforward, responsible uh, account, and that would be a good place uh, to begin if you want to study these things more in depth. Let me ask yourself, well, why isn't the rapture mentioned really clearly in Luke 21? 
Jesus is talking about all these end times things, but um, you know, the rapture seems like it'd be a big deal. Why doesn't he mention it there? And actually, uh, something that Leon Wood wrote in the Bible and Future Events I thought was pretty helpful. He wrote, it was not appropriate for Jesus to speak directly of the rapture at this time, for the disciples were not prepared to understand it. And we need to remember that God gives his truth to humanity progressively. He doesn't just dump all the information at once. He gives bit by bit. And because now we live in the age where we have the completed Old and New Testament, we have the full deposit of everything that God has revealed for us at this age. But in the time while that was still coming in, you know, they had some of the knowledge, but then they had to wait for other knowledge and, and uh, information to come in. I think it's also why in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, Paul can refer to the, the rapture as, as a mystery. In Scripture, a mystery is a previously unrevealed truth. He's saying this is something that we didn't, in times past, people didn't know about. But Paul tells them, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. There, there will be Christians who do not die. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. I think also, too, in Luke, Jesus is focusing on kind of the, the Jewish program, the program for Israel. I mean, he's talking to the, uh, the Jewish disciples, and he's talking about what's going to happen with their Jewish temple. He's talking about things that we talked about uh, in the series already of Daniel's 77s in that prophecy, which was specifically for, for Israel. So if we have these other events that are in this, this gap period, this time of the Gentiles, which uh, the rapture is at the end of that, well, it, it makes sense that Luke, right now Jesus in Luke isn't uh, discussing that specifically, but he's talking about the parts that are specifically related to the nation of Israel, destruction of the temple, and later on the, the tribulation period and his return. Back to Luke. In verse 31, it says, The kingdom of God is near. So also when you see these things take place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. These things are near to us, us in the sense that they could happen any moment. But once the tribulation kicks off and they see these things, they're going to know it's really near. They're going to know that, okay, we have a few years' time. This is coming and it's drawing close. We talk about the kingdom of God. What do we mean by that? You know, the kingdom of God is really, ultimately, it's about the king. Uh, there are some uh, people that claim to be Christians that are all about the kingdom of God, but they mean basically some kind of social agenda for this world. And almost Jesus is irrelevant to it. Uh, the, the core of the kingdom of God is the king. And the king is Jesus. There's a sense that we as a church already, we know that Jesus is our king. He is our Lord. So there's kind of a preview sense where the, the kingdom of God is where, where God's people gather that worship in it as king. But there is a full and final sense of the kingdom of God that is, still, that is still coming. This is not as good as it gets. This is not uh, the final reign. There's a full and final sense that will only be realized when Jesus actually returns to this earth and, and sets up his kingdom. What's referred to in scripture, we, we call it the millennial kingdom, where he sits on the throne of David and he literally rules on this world. In the book of Revelation, 
it talks about that. Let me read Revelation 20, 1 through 6. And this is right after in chapter 19 when it talks about Christ's return. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he sees the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. You're going to see the, the phrase a thousand years several times here. And threw him into a pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. And after that, he must be released for a little while. There would be a, a final rebellion at the end of that, that thousand years. It says, verse 4, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those uh, to whom the authority to judge was committed. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and who had not worshipped the beast, the Antichrist, or its image, and had not received its mark on their forehead or their hands. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Keep saying a thousand years. And the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. And this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. This is saying if you're a believer now, you return, you reign with him, we will be reigning with Christ on this earth in resurrected immortal bodies for, for a thousand years. So no matter how long you live in this life or what you've had to endure, good or bad, you look forward to well, to start things off, returning a thousand years reigning with Christ on a world where, where Satan is bound, where evil is, is, is contained, and Jesus reigns on this earth. And, and just think of the joy that you will have during that time. And that's just the beginning of eternity. And it's if you're part of the first resurrection. If you're part of the first resurrection, it says the second death has no power over you. There's two deaths. You, we're all going to die. Unless, unless the rapture happens, you're going to die physically. That's the first death. But the second death, that's, death is always separation. You're going to be separated from your body one day, and that will be bad enough, but Jesus will repair that. If you are, and if you are in Christ, you will be raised and reign with him. But the second death, that's separation from, from God forever. If you're separated from God forever, you are not going to reign with him. You're going to be separated into what the scripture calls hell, what it refers to in Revelation, the lake of fire eventually. And I just, I plead with you, I pray with you that you would receive Christ. That you would find yourself, instead of being outside of Christ and under the wrath of God that we all deserve, that you would flee to him. Put your faith, your trust, no one can do it for you. Trust in Christ as the one that, that died to save you by what he did for you on the cross. And then you will not be touched by the, the second death. You are going to spend eternity one place or another. You want to spend it with Jesus Christ, glorifying him and worshiping him. And that's why he came. He came to save you. Back in Luke in verse 32, it says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. What does that mean, this generation? There are three basic views on what that might mean. And some say, well, Jesus kind of thought that all this was going to happen you know, maybe the next 40 years or while these apostles were still alive. 
uh, problem with that is that would make Jesus wrong because he didn't return and all of it didn't happen. Some of it did. I mean, the, the beginning part of this with the, uh, with the destruction of Jerusalem, that happened about 40 years later. But there was still more that was yet to come. So two other uh, of the explanations, uh, and these next two, each of them might be possible. Some say when it refers to this generation, it's specifically referring to uh, what is happening during the tribulation period and saying when this starts, things are going to go rapidly. And when this happens, the generation that is alive at the tribulation, that all these things will take place uh, that are being talked about in Luke here um, for the generation that is still alive when the tribulation starts. And that, that's, that's a possibility that very likely that could be what it is. Another one that's also very possible is to recognize that the word uh, for generation can also mean at times a, a race or a people. And if that's the case, specifically this could be saying that uh, this people, specifically the Jewish people, um, will not be obliterated from the face of the earth before Christ returns. Although there are many that have tried and whole world powers over and over that keep trying to destroy the Jewish people. But God keeps preserving them, protecting them, being faithful to them, even though most of them have turned away at this point. We saw last week that there's going to be a massive revival and they will turn to Christ and accept him as Messiah. Now, this is the less common meaning for the word, uh, this gen- for generation, uh, but it, I think it actually fits the context pretty well with everything here being talked about Israel and, and God's plan for the nation of Israel. So it, it's either the second or third meaning uh, when we talk about what does it mean when this generation will not take pass away to all is taking place. And then in verse 33, it says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Let's think, God's word, let's just get the first application here. God's word uh, does not pass away. Okay, this word is more permanent than the world. Okay, the world will pass away first. This, this world is less permanent than what God teaches us and his truth. And even though there are many people that think that this is outdated, we don't have to believe this anymore because we know better now. We're more sophisticated than you know, these people and times change and truth changes. And you've got to get with the times and get with the programs. You can't believe all this old stuff in this old book. We believe this book was written by God the Holy Spirit that inspired the authors to write exactly what he wanted written, God that knows the future, God that is not bound by time. So if he was going to tell us something in here, he knows what is going to be applicable at uh, at 33 AD and what's going to be applicable in the year 2033 AD. That these truths are true and they always will be true. Your milk in your refrigerator may have an expiration date. This word does not have an expiration date. But the heavens and earth, they will pass away. There will be a new heaven and a new earth one day. I'll give you these references. You can write them down. 2 Peter 3, 10 through 13. Again, talks about the Lord coming like a thief in the night and the heavens and earth will pass away. And then in Revelation 21, 1 through 5. Uh, I'll read it. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I want to read this to you because this is so comforting. 
Then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. The God and humans, we will dwell together on this new earth. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. With them. I mean, God is with us now, but he's going to be with us in a, in a completely literal physical, there he is type of way. And then verse 4, and maybe you need to hear this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. We live in a world that's been pretty wrecked. Been nice when there's the, the, the great start over. It's going to be even better than it was originally. They got, that everything is made new. And we are with God. We're in fellowship with him. And that verse is finishes and says, And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. quickly then the kingdom of God is near so watch your life we watch for Jesus and we are to watch our lives there are applications Luke 21 34 through 38 but watch yourself lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipations and drunkenness and cares of this life and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And then it talks about Jesus' teaching on the, the Mount of Olives. The Bible does not give us information about the end times, mainly so we can make a bunch of charts. And we can have debates and discussions, and we can get into all the minutiae, Okay, there is information that's revealed. There are fascinating things to think about. But if that's all we're doing and it is not impacting how you live today, you're missing the point. It's not, just, it's not about speculating about what might happen then. This is to impact how you live in your life now, today. When, as you leave here, as you, you go to work tomorrow, as you, you raise your kids, as you love your spouse, as you reach out to your neighbor, needs to impact how we live now. And in Luke, it gives a few very specifics. It says, watch yourselves. Keep a look at your life. How are you living? What's going on in your heart? What is, how are you, are you doing things that are according to God's will? Are you doing things that are displeasing God and that we need to repent of and we need to change? It says, lest your hearts be weighed down. How often do we go through life and we are depressed and we are, we are miserable, our hearts are weighed down because we're thinking about the here and now and just this existence and the misery now instead of looking to the hope that is to come. Instead of looking to pass these light and momentary afflictions that we have that can be pretty heavy, but that are outweighed by the, the greatness and the beauty and the glory that will happen when Christ returns 
and sets things right for us. Hearts weighed down. It says, with dissipation and drunkenness. Dissipation is literally uh, a reference to both the nausea associated with drinking and debauchery, with, with, with hangovers. People, they try to sometimes get through the misery of this life by uh, self-medicating or partying one way or another. And it doesn't help. It just leads to more and more misery that makes your heart more weighed down. If that's what you've been doing, you need to turn to, to Christ and receive that joy instead of trying to just drown things out. It also references the cares of this life that can weigh our hearts down. We're so busy. You get caught up in so many things that you need to do. There's things you need to do. There's things you didn't need to do, but you scheduled and you're doing anyways. And now you're too busy to be thinking about God. You're too busy to be focusing on him and having a heart that worships him. There can be things that are not necessarily bad things, but we get so weighed down about this that God gets pushed off our radar. Don't let Christ get pushed off your radar. Keep your focus on him. Keep watching for him. Otherwise, it says, it, this will come on us like a trap. You'll be concerned about all the other things that you're watching for. You're watching your, your bank account. You're watching your sports team. And you're watching your career. There's going to come a day really quickly when those things don't matter at all. Because when Christ comes back, everything changes really quick. And this will happen to everything on the earth. Right now, people, sometimes even Christians, are going around like this world right now is normal. But suddenly things are going to change. Things are going to get real. Real quick, all of a sudden. So stay awake. Stay awake. Keep focused. Keep watching. Don't, get, don't drift away. When you drive home today, I hope that you stay awake during that drive. Okay? And I don't just mean physically. How long does it take for you to fall asleep for an accident to happen if you're driving? Is it good to say, well, I'm awake half of my ride home or 90%? You know, if we're supposed to stay awake for Christ, that needs to be all the time. We don't want to be caught off guard. You know, people today talk about you're supposed to be woke. Um, scripturally, it says you're supposed to be awake. That's better grammar, and that's biblical. And be awake and active. When you're awake, part of being awake is you're doing things. We're supposed to be about God's work during this time. There's a mission that God has for us. You have neighbors that need Jesus Christ. Okay, there's people in the world that you either need to go to as a missionary or help us send missionaries to them because they need Jesus Christ. There's people that need your help, people that are going through difficult times. There's ways that you need to use your gifts and abilities to serve God. We're not just sitting here twiddling our thumbs waiting for the return. Be awake and active during this time period until he comes. And finally, you're in prayer. Be praying be praying, it says, uh, what do we got here? Verse 36. It says, uh, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Your only hope in tribulation, whether it's the, the tribulations of this life or to escape the great tribulation to come, is God. This is not the type of thing that you can produce by your own willpower. So when there's something you need that you can't do in your own, you pray to God to grant you what you don't have. And eventually to stand before the Son of Man. All of us, we are going to stand before Jesus Christ. You are going to give an account to him. There's no 
uh, escaping that. And how is that going to be? Are you going to stand before him one day um, with Christ as your Savior? Or are you going to stand before God one day to have to give an account without a Savior because you rejected him or you ignored him? And your eternity is going to be completely different. You're going to think about what were the choices that you made in this life? Some of you know this week I was invited to uh, the Michigan House of Representatives to, to give the invocation uh, there in Lansing at the Capitol before the Michi- session of the Michigan House of Representatives. And I had to write out a prayer in advance. It had to be general. Uh, but one thing that I wrote in there, I said, quote, may the members of this assembly make the decisions that they will be glad to have made when each of them stand before you one day to give an account. And that's not just for them. And that's for all of us. Decisions that each of us make right now. Are are you going to be proud? Are you going to be glad that you made that decision? That you lived the way you lived? Or not? Make the decisions now. Because you will stand before God one day. History is going somewhere. And it ends with Jesus winning. And there will be hard times until then. But if you are on Jesus' team, then you also you win in the end. Praise God. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you so much. We thank you for revealing these truths to us. May these things give us hope. May we stay awake and fix our eyes on the truths that you have revealed, these things that will not change, and to know that if we are with you, Lord God, and if we are living according to your truth, We are truly on the right side of history, Lord God. And we long for your coming. Help us to stay awake and to be active and to be about your work until you come for us. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.